Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Yes, you mentioned right at the beginning that you know there were always people who would come by the stall in the early days, sometimes just for a chat, not even for food. You know, we have a responsibility to be as far as we can be open and, and available to give people a positive experience, a happy moment in their day. This is Julia Clayman and Jesse Yamper, founders of Taste Tibet, a restaurant and food stall, which is a hidden gem in Oxford. And they bring the amazing food of culture and Tibet to you. And they recently won an award for their free weekly food donations to vulnerable people in the community. And what I found also incredible was that they as an independent business over the last two years also had the headspace and energy to write and release a cookbook on the food and culture of Tibet. Julia and Jesse starts the conversation by sharing the amazing journey from when Jesse was living in Tibet, learning how to cook inside a yak hair tent at a very young age, and how they both met up on a mountain in India and then decided to move to the UK and eventually launched a food business. We dive into what the role of the business is besides making profit, and they explain that they want to build a business that makes impact on people, community, and the planet, and they share how their purpose is lived in everything they do. They share how they approach growth as a business and how they're making sure they can fulfill their purpose as well as growing a business in all aspects. We discuss how hospitality can play a crucial role in society and how it can make the world a better place. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. This conversation will inspire you to follow your purpose and believe that everything is possible if you can imagine it. Enjoy. I'm super excited about today's conversation because we're going to be talking about, you know, the, my favorite things. It's about food. It's about people. It's about community. Actually, four things about the planet as well. And we're going to I found this business up in Oxford that's doing incredible things and they're coming out with a book soon and they're going to tell you much more about that. They're called Taste Tibet. And if you haven't checked them out, go and check them out because they're actually creating a food business out of love for food and how we actually connect with the way we consume food and and actually how we relate to food. And, uh, and there's a lot of interesting things happening and they're doing it a bit in a different way. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But enough about me trying to, uh, to tell what it's all about. Let's, let's get started. I'm super excited to have you both here. So welcome, Julia and Jesse. It's really exciting to have this conversation because I've been following you for 
for a while and see how you evolve from starting a, a market stall to actually having a shop to now also becoming autos with a book soon. Michael, thank you so much for having us. We're really so excited to be joining this conversation because we are avid listeners of the podcast and, and really big fans. And and it's been so helpful for us to tune in every week and gain inspiration from your guests and you know, all the insights and experience that that and that really kind of helps to contribute to our, our business. So thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, and I'm 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 super glad to to get that feedback and and hear that you actually people in the community have been able to help you on your journey the last couple of years. But should we start a bit with to give people a bit of context? Uh, you know, who you both are, you know, why the purpose of starting a Tasty Bit and uh, and how it all started out. So uh, we are Julian Yeshi, and yeah. um, we are a husband and wife team. And we have been running Taste Tibet since 2014. So we originally met in India. Yeshi was born in very rural Tibet and he grew up living a semi-nomadic existence, which means for six months of the year, he was herding animals out on the plateau. Six months of the year, he was, well, I don't want to say resting, but relatively resting at home. Yeah, yeah, kind of rest, but yeah. So also we have animals, but yeah, stay with the family because we live in a valley. And uh, summer we go on the mountains with my dad, and we have lots of sheep and the yaks. And so we go different mountains, and uh, that's those you know animals also eat like you know the different grass on the mountains, complete kind of wild. So we can take different area because the animal need nutrition, you know. And then in the winter time, the animals would come back and actually live on the ground floor of the house, so they helping to heat the house. And they would obviously need some looking after them during the months that they, they were with the family as well. So then we, when Yeshi was 19, he left Tibet over the Himalayas and um, arrived in India, where two of his brothers were monks in monasteries in India. And he lived there for about 12, 13 years. And that's where we met on a mountain path in the so foot, Himalaya, foothills yeah. of the Himalayas. And... Uh, Food definitely had a big part to play in our coming together. So we, we met on the mountain path and that evening, Yeshi cooked me up my first real Tibetan meal. So I'd been living in China for many years. I, in a previous life, was, a, was the chief editor of the Oxford Chinese Dictionary. And I was living in Beijing and working on Chinese dictionaries, but also did kind of sideline work in, uh, for NGOs. And I was in India on a, a brief... Um, NGO-related work project, and I, I took a trip to Dharamsala, which is where Yeshi was living at the time, but he had lived all over India. Yeah, so uh, yeah, sometimes I live in South, sometimes I live in North, sometimes I live in Delhi. So I really enjoy India, just you know, different state, like different country, different language. It's really fascinating. Yeah, different <laughs> food. That's really fascinating. You know, I just crossed the all in India. So when I met Julie, so I was in Dansa. And so. I, I had visited uh, Tibetan regions in, in China and eaten Tibetan food before, but it was mostly food that was dressed up for tourist menus, yak burgers, that kind of thing. It really wasn't very authentic. So uh, the, first, the first meal that Yeshi cooked me was a, a hand-cut noodle soup. And it was a November evening, very cold, 
I think it does get warm in Dharamsala in, in the summertime, but in the winter, the, the kind of cement houses are really not built to retain any heat. So that was really everything that I needed in that moment. And food was very much um, part of what brought us together and has kept us together. <laughs> and um, we, Yeshi moved to, and I moved from China at the same time to the UK in 2011. No, I forgot. 2011, yeah. Was it? 2011, yeah. yeah. And for the first few years was looking after our, our son who was born in the same year. And then in 2014, when our daughter was born and and I was able to take maternity leave and he had a bit of a bit of time away from the kids, um, he started Taste Tibet as a market stall in the centre of Oxford, which at the time had just a couple of kind of foodie, foodie offerings in what was otherwise a kind of Oh, what was the market at that time? It was a place where people sold batteries. Oh, yeah. Kind of <laughs> this and that. Things. Antiques, yeah. And yeah. also quite a lot of fruit and veg. So yeah. we had always been drawn to that market because for Yeshi, when he first arrived in the UK, it was one of the only places in Oxford, at least, that he was able to to buy food, loose, you know, uh, see it, touch it, smell it. He really wasn't a fan of... Um, of the big supermarkets where food is sold in very small quantities behind plastic. We could talk about that a bit later. But um, yeah, so we, we started our stall there and, and quite quickly started taking it to uh, events, big and small. Um, we go to massive big mu music festivals now. We're going to Glastonbury this year and uh, we've been to Bestival, um, Latitudes. We go to quite a lot of the big folk festivals. Yeah. I really enjoy it, you know, the, the folk festivals, like, you know, and the food is fantastic. And it was also like, I want to learn the culture and the really English um, mm. culture and the music. And I uh, can see them interested people and uh, just really, really fascinating folk festivals. So, so we still cater at a lot of the big festivals, but in, in 2020, November it was, so during the middle of the second lockdown, we opened our first fixed premises in Oxford. And um, obviously to begin with, we were operating just takeaway only for really quite a long time, the first six, seven months of, of uh, running out of that space. And uh, now we're able to, to have people come and dine with us, which is uh, such a pleasure, um, and keep the festivals going at the same time. That's a brief history. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's probably a lot of things that to go into. So, so what was it that made you? What, what was it like, okay, we need to make a food stall in, in all this, besides that you, you like to come on the market, you like to connect with the food and, you know, find out, you know, is this good food I'm, I'm taking home? But what was it that made you think we're going to do a, a market stall? And uh, was it a, what were you thinking about making a restaurant at that point? Or was it just a bit an accident or... Uh, I think I did a market and then, you know, and the people feedback and uh, just really uh, interested is uh, from the people to push us. And also, But I think to backtrack a little bit, I mean, the yeah. reason you started the stall in the first place is because we used to go to the market in Gloucester Green where, where we later had yeah. our stall and and the few food offerings there were, were quite poor. And yeah, 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 that's, uh, that's also... about food. Yeah, the food for me is really food is so important, you know. Food is a huge subject, and the food is for me. Is, you know how works the food, and uh, that's the, you know I can I can do much better, and also I can you know 
as to how foods are work, so where they come from, and I can like introduce something introduce to culture at yeah, the same time. The same time the culture, you know, and then it's just the food is really fascinating for me to passion to give the people and uh, uh, that's the first I thought I just I can do much better than that and then, then and then like you said I mean because I think that you know there wasn't an awful lot of time and thought that went into the business in the early stages we didn't really see it as a business you know it was at the very beginning just a, a quite a makeshift setup that was an experiment in how was Yeshi's food going to work how was the the concept going to take off or not and after a while when and it really wasn't very long you know when the feedback was really very good and the food was all sold out you know and we realized we had something that worked you know then yeah. then we realized that that is that had become really what we were doing i never went back to work at, at the end of that second maternity leave i i didn't return to the day job so so it's just like a my family they're they're all the chef and they realized like that i have no idea first because of my parents, they're like, you know, we are doing something in the community. And they're the chef, always. Uh, when I was young, I saw them, they're, they're cooking all the time. And they're for the community sh chef. And something, some, somebody's wedding, they're volunteering for chef. And uh, like, you know, that's what um, I realized, you know, we can cook. That's good food. And uh, that's, for me, so important, to, you know, to, I can... To teach other people to the how foods work, and then I went to the market, and we can, with the meet the people and chat. Still, I do, and like now my customers become like my friends. Uh, it's just I learn from them. Just really fascinating. It's like uh, not to work like in the office. I realize you know it's really really uh, face to face, and we can talk, and uh, this is really really. I really do enjoy it, you know, to with customers. Real and, life. I yeah. think especially when we were in the market, and we, you know, we were in quite an exposed place, and Oxford has all kinds, you know, obviously yeah. there, there's the academics, and uh, and then there's a, a lot of people who come from, from abroad, visiting scholars, but then there's, you know, there's normal people going about normal day-to-day -day jobs as well. And, and also some I have lots of homeless people as well. And uh, just, you know, come and to have food and, you know, I chat with them. So the and, conversations are so varied. Yeah, but, you know, for me, it's like, you know, why I just like, you know, also my culture as well, just, you know, doesn't matter for, for farmers or rich or poor. I just, our children can just the same. I know some people, they're like homeless people comes, you know, they can't pay the money, but, you know, still I treat for them the same way. And what they want, and you know, I just talk with them and just, you know, same people, you know, why not? So it just, you know, and the man, yeah, it's like test the bed concept, like, you know, I want to treat people well and how how do we can, uh, food, how it works. And then, you know, that's kind of, you know, man, test bed main goals in not only uh, making money, so just like, you know, how it works in Sussex. I love the, I picked up a couple of things I was writing down. It's like the love for, you know, food and uh, community as well. And it's also about sharing a different philosophy around food. I could hear that as well. And then also that you actually just took this as an experiment. You didn't know where it will go. 
but you thought you had something and you put it out there and you got then got feedback on it. And then you actually, in principle, you created something that's not scalable. And then in principle, suddenly it becomes a business because people loves it and it gives you feedback. It gives you confidence and you go and execute it. Um, I think that's really good. You didn't go and tell them what to like it or not. You said, here it is, try it out. So what, what was people's response? Because, you know, food from Tibet, you know, people, a lot of people probably tried Chinese or Indian food can really relate to that. But as you said, have they actually really tasty, the real food from Tibet, you know, because what, what is the whole concept and idea around uh, food from Tibet? I guess you eat seasonal as well. Uh, you don't have strawberries in a, in a fridge in the winter <laughs> exactly you know and then so fast you know i'm sure here it's a long time we don't have fridge you know it's the same here you know and we does things you know how food is how long keep you know so as fresh as possible you know if you cook fresh anything fresh and food ultimately food become delicious you know so if you don't cook the fresh and then obviously food's not that delicious thing you know obviously in tibet there are during the winter months it's uh, it's very difficult to come by fresh produce, even in Yeshi's region. And he came from a village at relatively low altitude that during the spring, summer, autumn months actually gave quite a bounty. I mean, he often says that there was more more veg than they knew what to do with. You know, the animals did very well there because there was some veg they just the, the family just chose not to eat at all, just give give to the animals. But during the winter months, you had to be quite careful about storing vegetables. Um, to, to prevent them perishing in the frost. So root vegetables like um, potatoes, turnips, um, radishes, they would be stored inside caves that the family dug out behind their, their home in the mountainside and, and sealed with mud. And obviously you could access those vegetables whenever you needed to, as long as you made sure that you sealed your cave once you'd left it. Yeah, um, it's just like when you go and like bring out, it looks really, really fresh, you know. Mm. just like muddy it was really fresh but also also preserving food was important during those months yeah, so yeah, yeah. um you you would dry uh, peaches and apricots and and also meat um for for use over the barren winter time but otherwise i think in, in tibet you're eating with the seasons and i think that for, for yeshi that was quite a shock when he came here to to understand that most people Certainly at that time, I think things have changed over the last decade, but going back more than 10 years now, you know, most people didn't really have much of an interest or understanding in eating seasonally and very much expected when they went to the supermarket to be able to find their strawberries or their, their broccoli or whatever it was at whatever time of year. I think although that was initially quite exciting for Yishi to see that, that that a range of vegetables was always available, that novelty quite quickly wore off. And um, and it became quite depressing to him, the, the lack of seasonality, you know, unless you you saw, you made specific um, um, trips to the farmer's markets or sometimes in, in the weekly market where we had our stall, they would have vegetables um, that were more seasonal. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I, the, also I do the asking you, the vegetables, that the people why you not bring the seasonal vegetable and then they say you know it's very difficult to sell mm, because and, people uh, don't know what they are yeah and then i said you need i said you need to bring seasonal vegetable but there's if they're bringing they're scared of they're, they're mm. not to sell so 
this is hard for them as well you know it was really interesting you say there because i think there is an element of you know with vegetables that's my own experience as well that people don't know what to do with them sometimes they maybe know what to do with a carrot and some peas and so, but there's like the, the, the whole range of vegetables there is in different seasons. People don't know really how to cook with them. And I think that's that's the key thing. You know, you, you almost feel a bit like, what I'm going to do? You get that, maybe you get your local veg box and that's great, but you throw half of it out because you don't know what to do with those vegetables. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. That's right, I think. That, but, you know, you can do the vegetables, like, you know, it's a little bit different, but you can, if you like, you know, change a little bit you know when same you principles cook. yeah apply more or less if you know what to do with a potato you probably know what to do with with a a, a muli that's a, a big white radish that um, yeah but you can vegetable any vegetables so you can change a little bit and you can cook you know leafy green vegetables yeah you're going to treat them in the same way more yeah more same way than just like other cookings you know and also like so like some of the vegetables you don't need to cook that much and uh, you can eat it and there's like potatoes you need to cook probably otherwise you can you were sick but in the, like least like uh other other like vegetables you don't need to cook that much you know you talked a bit about the journey you experiment then it turned into a business is there a bit more clarity today what the your your goal is for all this because you know you're gone you have the you did a market stall you are doing events now you're still doing the festivals because that's a big part of actually keeping yourself alive and staying connected with originally and then now you have a, a brits and mortar unit as well what is like the vision for for and now a book coming talking about your philosophy to the whole world uh, what what is like the, the vision for this uh taste tibet is being a hundred restaurants or what is it about i think first of all we we really need to we're quite new as a bricks and mortar establishment. So, uh, Yeshi is very ambitious uh, for Taste Tibet and would love to make it more than the one premises. But we, first of all, need to make sure that that one runs well and that we have a concept that we can take elsewhere, um, whether that's, you know, around the next corner or to a different city. Um, but as I say, he's very ambitious. I think that, you know, Yeshi didn't go to school at all until he went to India when he was 19. So I very much feel like he's not being constrained by, he's never been told you can't do that. <laughs> he's not co constrained in, yeah, I think it does. So, you know, very often, you know, he has ambitious plans and I'll say, you know, but we can't do that. And he says, you know, but why not? And actually there isn't really an answer to that. You know, it is all entirely possible. But I think, you know, my very extensive education, I, I so often was told, um, no. told no. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I, I think we what we have is quite a kind of street food style restaurant that does as much takeaway as it does dine-in. And the dine-in element is a kind of everybody eating together at, at long tables, sharing, uh, quite kind of informal meal um, and so we understand now that that we've put that into practice and we've had a good response from it that that, that is that is the, the concept that we'd like to go with yeah but it's also like in your restaurant a business like so many where we can do you know we can do fancy restaurants and uh, just so many where we can do but in the test work like plus obviously like Anybody can come in and eat in with us, 
or we can take it to home and you know that's the man we we did just to make as a work with the customer but also we learn through but also my goals like you know anybody can enjoy mm. and we, we really strive to be as inclusive as possible to keep our prices as low as we can obviously that that's a challenge but to make it so that anybody can come through and afford to eat with us and um we also have and this is this is something that we developed during the pandemic when we were not able to to serve people at our market store um developed like a chilled foods line so that there is food that is available even more cheaply so some people come in and just we have food in the freezers um that is food that we usually have left over at the end of a saturday evening which is our last day's service of the week so we can kind of confidently cook more than we need on a saturday knowing that whatever we have left over we can box up for sale and put in our freezers and because there's no vat on chilled food we can pass that saving on to our customers so we have many people who come in and just and take away 10 10 boxes or we also do them in like family sizes to save on on packaging so here's a box that feeds four to six if you're having a party kind of thing um so people can come and shop with us that way as well so we really believe there is something for everybody um at taste bet and and actually i think that that's also been quite key to our um not just survival but the way that we've thrived during these difficult pandemic times what is it that you know you already said that you have all these you know different revenue streams and uh, and and I, there's definitely no doubt about that. that's the way the market is going but what is it that that make you so different to other concepts out there because what is it that, that makes the customers come back again and again and rave about you because you have quite a loyal following when you start to follow you on uh, Instagram so you can see these people they 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 would be very upset if you didn't open tomorrow You know, I think even before the pandemic, and we can talk about what we did to um, engage our community during that time in a bit. But even before the pandemic, we 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 all we made community a really big part of um, of our business. We are a, a local business. We had our our stall in in the center of town, and and so we did meet tourists uh, um, and office workers who passed through. But but we held pop-ups and we pitched our our stall also in the area that we live which is where we've also set up our our bricks and mortar restaurant now and in fact going back even further in in the really earliest days of taste bet before yeshi had a driving license and could get himself from from a to b it was easier for us to have people come to our home to to get food so when our kids were bum shuffling down with the uh, <laughs> the hallway we'd have them you know open the doors to people who come once a week to to get takeaway from our home many of the people who come to us now are people who've known us you know since way back then and and seen our kids grow up and and all the rest of it but you know i i don't think that um you know obviously that's that's a kind of highly local thing that that we have going on but which is not to say that that we wouldn't get the same engagement i think if if we moved elsewhere because we understand the importance of working um together with your community we have a weekly newsletter that, that went out in those early days to people who came to us for for takeaways that we've developed since then which is very much a kind of two way street you know we tell them a little bit about tibet or or something that's going on in, in the business how things work behind the scenes or how we've arrived at this point and we get a lot of feedback um from from people every week when we send that out 
and um, and we respond to it and um, and that you know we love that that's and we think that that's key uh, to uh, shaping who we've become and and why this thing works and um, I think if we moved else if we took taste of it elsewhere I think that we uh, would very much seek to open in kind of a residential area in in the same way and be able to, to uh, develop relationships with our community there and do do something positive also um i mean we mentioned that during the pandemic we well we launched we launched very quickly into we had a website obviously when the pandemic started but we realizing that we could no longer have the market store um, launched an online shop about a week into the first lockdown and started delivering food to to customers and that was chilled food that was the food that that's ultimately become um off the freezer food in our in our shop that's also we learn from the customer yeah know? we got some great yeah, feedback on, on the customer that says you need that, they wanted to because it's some people busy and mm -hmm. uh, that's why the customer said you need to food to freeze it because I'm busy. Sometimes I come and I take it to home. I need to. That's useful for my home. There's also we learn from customers. So their their customer tell us you need to do this, that. You know, we learn from them as well. When, so. when we set up the online shop, we also at the same time. This was very early days of the pandemic. Um, set up the facility for customers at the same time as as making their deliveries order. Um, able to contribute towards a. a a project we called feeding the front line which was you know if you if you give us some donations if you add a little bit to your cart as you make your order we we can cook meals and take these to hospitals at the time the hospitals um well yeah, everywhere first, the, the, first, canti the yeah. canteens were not running yeah first uh, you know lockdown happened and then hospital the canteens not working and uh, so first i thought you know i have some rice and dal you know i just cook some food and I can deliver it, you know, because I did some few hospitals I did. And then yeah. but we became much more powerful when you know we put that idea to to the people who were making orders with us anyway, who yeah. you know many people were stuck at home feeling very powerless and wanting to do something to help, but un unable to do that. And yes, we were in a position with sack loads of rice and sack loads of dal at the very least to, to be able to prepare feed them, you know, we meals. can't, yeah, we can't help, but we can feed them for the food, you know, we can, you know, that's all I thought, you know, why not? I just go in the kitchen, just cook and then I deliver hot food for the your hospital, I did. And we had a really, really great response with that. And um, at the end of that first lockdown, when some normality resumed and the canteens reopened in the in the hospitals we still had quite a lot of donations to honor and so we asked our community um where they would like to see us channel those funds and uh, there was a local grassroots um support network that started at the same roughly about the same time as the first lockdown hit here in the uk and um and they deliver food parcels to to vulnerable people or people who were shielding isolating unable to to get out of the house or afford basic goods and and since we stopped delivering to frontline nhs workers we so it's been nearly two years now 18 months we've been delivering every week to oxford mutual aid um again chilled food that that can go into those parcels for reheating at home and and we find that um 
I mean, it's just a win-win situation that, you know, obviously there's, there's people who are able to eat our food who would never otherwise be able to come and, and see us at the restaurant. But we're also working together very closely with people in our local communities who feel very much and are very much a part of that story. They're contributing financially or if they're unable to do that, you know, they, they give us the moral support that we need to give us the energy that we need come, come Sunday when we make those weekly drops. It's very interesting that you say you you in principle built the business on community um, just for for people out there. I guess that demands a lot of effort as well. Community is not just something you say you want to do and it happens. It's like one for one. I guess you built this, and you're being able to scale that as you you know the pandemic hit. You could really do something with it. Yes, that's right. And I think I think that it works because you know it's it's driven this by genuine passion yeah if you if you work with a passion you know and so you're never tired and whatever you do and just you know to push us you know to to work you know the faster thought you know foods you know we with the first lockdown you know just people just really really uh it's like shocked you know and then our thoughts you know you know, I can feel some people. Of course, I just go, it's just, you know, cook. I just feel mm. the people, you know. That's just, you know. And it, for me, it's like we make other people happy. And uh, that's the, really, really good to make other people so happy, you know. If somehow it's a delicious food and, you know, so happy, you know. So for us as well, really happy, you know. Mm. That's just it also works, you know just make them happy and we are so happy we often say that feedback feeds us yeah yeah so they will feed back and we have energy to feed them if we don't that we don't have that it's it's no work you know like any any kind of business you know if you don't have passion on the drive otherwise no so you feel months you will fail mm. but it's a fast like not like that if you're not work that we can change straight away other way we have passion to on the food I love that because it's also how you look at things. Are you looking at it as a transaction, you know, money for a thing, or you're looking at a transaction in a way that I may be able to get something that's not money back into my business that maybe doesn't maybe really give me anything today, but maybe it does tomorrow. Maybe it does in a, in a year's time. It's about karma as well that you are putting into the world. I, lo I love that as well. As, as you talk about potentially to expand the business, what is your approach to this? You know, what, what are you thinking about growth? Because, you know, you're very purpose-driven. And how do you actually, have you thought about how you actually keep on growing the purpose in a way? Because the story you tell is, is very powerful. I think that, uh, well, growth, you know, is, is important to us um, in terms of keeping things challenging and interesting, but not growth for growth's sake. You know, obviously... Well, we, we are motivated to do something that puts the name of Tibet out there in bright lights. I mean, I think that that was, that was a big factor at the beginning. Fuyishi, when he first arrived here, nobody could place Tibet on the map. And very often, I mean, even customers who've been coming us, to us for years still can't, you know, or they'll bring their friend and they'll say, this is the yummy Nepalese food I was telling you about. But they've been eating it under the banner of, of Taste Tibet for years. So, you know, we're continually driven by that. And you mentioned the book and, you know, that's a big part of it for us. There is no there is no um, cookbook cook of yeah. Tibetan cuisine out there. And and so 
Yeah, you know, not we, the books, uh, not only for the recipes. Also, we have recipe, but also like you know, how walk from the food from nature. Mm, the backstory, and and not just yeah. a personal backstory, but you know the story of of um, basically how we live on this earth and how it works, you know, and how people in, in Tibet have have lived alongside um, animals and and their land for well thousands of years. Things yeah. are, things are changing now. Um, but, but that's uh, also uh, yeah preserved to the history, or mm -hmm. well, not only Tibet, and how we live on Earth, how we can that's all that we can record, you know. I think you know in terms of how you asked specifically how we how we grow the business from here, and we've mentioned how the, that we are motivated to to create more taste Tibets, and you know the cookbook is is part of that, you know. Um, but I think that staffing is key. And so, you know, finding people who are as motivated as we are about this message and who share our beliefs and passions, I think until we can um, have a strong team of people who share these values and visions, I think we probably will go slow. And I mean, we've gone slow yes, but, up until but, this. You know, it's a definitely, you know, why the work in Oxford, why not work in other cities? Because we're traveling to the old kind of UK, other parts, and of uh, festivals. And just, you know, we know that we have this really strong customers. Uh, like, you know, example, I have uh, some folk festival in Cambridge, I go there, and we have really good customers there as well. And why not work? Because if you treat them well in a restaurant, you know, we customers come in, we just treat well, and you know, that's what we message give them. And then obviously, customers come back again, visit. So, how we treat the customers so important because they want, they, they want the, the, uh, to the love from us, but not only for the just the me and Julie's like our team to give them obviously customer well back. So we, um, that's, I can say a hundred percent. If you look after them, they're well back, you know, if you, any kind of, if you like example, like a family, you look after each other and just we really love each other. So that's kind of, you know, the same concept. You mentioned uh, the word slow, but I guess slow is also okay because we are so, you know, especially in the Western world, maybe Jesse has a view on this. We are so focusing on we need to move fast, we need to grow fast, and sometimes we actually forget to get things right. And then as we really move fast, everything falls apart. I've done that myself with a business, and I look back and I exactly what I I got some of it right with the people, but I was definitely also I didn't have enough of the right people on board as I did that because I created a oceans of problems for myself, and it was all about people wrong people in the wrong seat or should never been on the bus. Um, so, so how are you doing that? As Even if you're moving slow, how are you starting to get that right and getting you feel the right people in the, in the right seats? Well, we have a document that we share with all our staff even before they come on board at the point of interview that we call um, Taste Tibet uh, Beliefs, Values and House Rules. So that, that give, gives all our staff um, history of Taste Tibet, they understand where we've come from and so, so who our customers are, the fact that some of them will have visited us in our own home, you know, seen our children grow up over these years. 
to make sure that the people that we recruit are in are comfortable with uh, with with our approach and um, and understand that you know yes works so hard back in the kitchen he gives the food so much love but you know if that if that love is not communicated at the front line that you know it becomes lost and and that's really a waste and so we we use that document to help us to make sure that we are bringing the right people on board we encourage um, all our staff especially because neither of us are usually there at the point of serving the food yes she's in the kitchen and um, I don't usually work front of house so um, we make sure that their lines of communication are open between them and us and we we encourage them to feed back to us what is working not working where they need things we make sure that we we um, supply what they don't have um, we, we really encourage bottom-up um, communication and giving giving those staff as much responsibility as as we can and regular check-ins it's about as much as we can do at, at the moment and um, we're still a small team but we need to make sure that when we do scale up that that none of that is lost that those same processes are in place it's very interesting that you say you have this you have your document your book of culture i call it as well you give to people before they arrive and they can make a choice if they want to join this kind of organization because we had ari on the podcast from singermans and they are very much about a very clear vision but also very clear about what kind of culture you're joining and that's how they did exactly how they're doing it and and that's a very interesting business uh, as well about how you actually, you know, you can go slow. It took them 30 years to get to 16 units, but now they have 60, 16 very well operating units in a very small area of uh, the U.S. So it's a similar approach, and I'm sure you're going to be successful with that. As as you uh, you said, the pandemic was hard for, for everyone. Um, what has been, you know, like significant learning over the last two years? Because we all come out of this on the other side. You know, either either we know we need to change something we don't know yet, or we really say, "Wow, light bulb moment!" That's what needs to happen now because it has been disruptive, and we're just starting to get out of it. And we don't know what's going to come next winter. Maybe maybe there's going to be more. We don't know, but it definitely feels like we're going into a I wouldn't call it normality, but a, a new paradigm in a way. I think you know, it's been a couple of things that that we have learned most keenly and and one of those is that you can't do anything in isolation you know we've talked about community but you know especially over the last couple of years and i mentioned that you know, we we could sense we sense that many people in our community were feeling quite quite powerless and um were happier than ever to um to work with us you know where where we put it out there um to just try to improve in small ways um day-to-day -day life and uh, whether that was engaging their support with you know work, working together with Oxford Mutual Aid or just you know getting the right food on their tables um, you know working working together and keeping lines of communication open was was really um, important and I think it, it really helped helped our business as well um, obviously I think hospitality businesses have had to be really adaptable during this this time and we were not scared to try anything new i mean during the early stages of the pandemic using our online shop we 
we even pitched up in car parks here and there. So we said, you know, people of Wallingford, we're, we're coming to you next. And, and people were able to, to order food through the website. And we turned up in, in, one, in one spot. It was usually car parks and just had, gave people uh, collection times and had people queue up for, for the food that they'd already paid for. And we reached new people that way, people who now come and see us in our, our restaurant from wherever it was that, that we had pitched up. We were not scared um, to, to try new things. And I think that that really paid off for us. And we met a lot of new people along yeah, the way. Yeah, if you're not working, you can change in a different way. You know, why we, that's what it's for me. It's like, why are we just scared and change and a little bit change? I think we were also fortunate that because it was such a crazy time, people were quite forgiving. And I think that hospitality as an industry is not has not been a very forgiving place you know customers come in with a lot of expectations yeah. ordinarily you know but be, because they could understand that we were uh, that this was a challenging time for the industry i think although it sounded crazy to a lot of people that we opened our first bricks and mortar place in, in the middle of it all in fact in some ways you know we were cut a lot of slack that we would not have been cut you know in normal times you know everybody was just so grateful that we were there and so we were very much rewarded for our bravery um so so yeah, try trying new things and and uh, chopping and, and changing as things worked or didn't work. I think there was a lot of rewards in that. I think on a personal level too. I think it just showed us how resilient we we are personally and as a business, and that's given us a lot of confidence going forward. So, you know, in in many ways, it's quite it's worked well for us, and I think it, it the pandemic's probably worked quite well for those hospitality businesses who. Who had the courage to step out of their comfort zones in the same way? I love that you again. You come back to it, and maybe don't know, don't know what's conscious of what you talk about. Those relationships you build with people, you you are. It's very important that one to one relationship again, and then you expand your community. You use you use the taste to bet the platform to do good, but also to expand the community and the business at the same time. I think that that's incredible. Some really good learnings in there for for everyone. Pandemic or no pandemic to operate in that way that you actually have to win one customer at a time. It's not about a social media post. It's not about just having clever marketing strategies and positioning, exactly being able to build these relationships with people, genuine relationship, and them understanding your philosophy because in the end of the day, that's what they buy into. It's not, of course, a tasty meal is always great, but you're you're competing on on, on more that, that your business is more than a product. It's more than a plate of food it's much more than that i think that's what you've seen as well and uh, from i could hear from your learnings i think that's incredible um is there any people on your journey that has been you know there's a lot of people that's always influential a lot of us but it's like you know running the business and getting that off the ground keep on believing in it you said you got a lot of confidence on the feedback you got from customers and your interaction with community it's like people that really have influenced you guys to you know, do this and continue because, you know, you've gone past the three-year mark for for young business where many would give up or fail. And and now you're in your seven, seven, eight years uh, and uh, you're still going. And like, it's, it's the some people on that journey that are in the past that really have influenced you to be able to keep on persisting moving forward because it is a battle to run a small business or a large business for that sake. Yes, yeah, she always says, you know, his family are a great inspiration to him. Obviously, um, 
the recipes is one thing, but their, their work ethic is another. I mean, I think you can romanticize life in Tibet and herding animals out on the plateau, but, you know, in reality, oftentimes that takes place in severe weather conditions and you have no option but just to, to go out there, get out there, keep doing what you do because, um, you know, bad weather days is just, you know, you can't you can't wait, you know, and, it, and the same with crops. They can't wait to be harvested, you know. So for those who, who live closer to home as well, not just those who live the, the tougher nomadic existence out on the wilds of the plateau. But, you know, even those who stay closer to home have a hard job working the land. This this stuff doesn't waste wait for anybody. You know, it's relentless. So I think for Yeshi, that's, you know, his family have always been a great inspiration and provided some great recipes along the way for, yeah. me, for me also personally my sister Susanna's who, who's the one who turned our website around within that week um, to, to give us an online shop has been an incredible support to us and also without kind of relevant experience I mean neither of us came from a hospitality background when we started the business and we've been doing a lot of learning along the way um, and she she herself doesn't have that background but she's always got ideas and is always there as a, as a great support to I think us, that but. the Bod family like in her family like a like blood is from the business and also my family from the blood from business as well i think <laughs> that's just to it is uh, there somewhere it's somewhere <laughs> but we yeah but it's somewhere but so it's just working you know is it very well to to adapt any kind of things you know yes she also watches a, a lot of, of uh, documentaries he's a big fan of anthony bourdain who you know always championed championed the small guy you know of the street food stalls and, yeah that's just the kind of the you know not only like a fancy restaurant that's what i mean it's like you know he goes like in a small place and really really tested really food he believes that the best food is street food he actually don't believe that's, that that's uh, fine dining exactly. can actually and deliver the conversations it. with mm. with the people you know the 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 ordinary people often on the streets or you know inside the small restaurants uh, you know what was their story where has this come from you know yeah. i think yeah she's been quite inspired by him and and for us uh, writing writing the cookbook we had to do the hateful job of of reaching out to people for what they call endorsements you know here here's my here's our lovely book and you know we, we need a quote you know to because we're, we're unknown authors um to put on the back cover so that you know someone who stumbles like, you know, across that, it like the Ken Holmes, you know. So yeah, we met we met Ken Hom that that way, and he's been a great inspiration. Yeah, he's us. he's like in into the you know, food, it's like huge subject, and you can he teach the people, you know. That's the you know, it's just amazing to encourage the for the other people. I mean, he's he's just an amazing example of somebody who I mean, he started from nothing. He yeah, his autobiography is recently came out it's called my stir fried life and you know he was born really in poverty in chicago his dad died a few months after he was born and his mum worked all the jobs and you know didn't speak any english and this was you know somebody who against all all the odds became a kind of global celebrity but having attained that his feet are so firmly on the ground you know he's he is an absolute to me an absolute example a shining example you know of somebody who's who's a achieved it all but will still make all the time um you know for, for for the new guys coming up i mean he's 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 become our pen pal now <laughs> we email several times a week and uh, he's incredibly humble and and friendly and um it's yeah that's been a joy 
that's a great, uh, I would call it even a swish knife of uh, skills and experience and background to have behind you and, and still support you. Um, so now you're not from hospitality and that also helps sometimes because you don't have the barriers of this is how we were meant to do it. And this is how we used to do it, which I think sometimes for myself as well is one of the biggest barriers. What did you see this in, in view for if you had a crystal ball for hospitality, there's a lot of predictions out there, but what's going to happen, you think, about you know the whole restaurant world? Uh, what is your view as a little operator and how do you see, are you optimistic and how, how, do, you, how do you see things? I think I am optimistic for those people who can stay adaptable, um, humble and open to change, because I think that these are uh, it's, that's going to be very important for at least the foreseeable future, because nobody knows where this is going right now. I mean, all that we do know is that that, you know, prices are going to continue to go up. I mean, in, you know, inflation is not in our favor and um, it's a very difficult time to be recruiting good people into the industry. Um, people who is we are for us we mentioned very important to us that we find people who share our values so you know finding people who really see hospitality as a as a career choice and not just you know something that gives them a, a few pennies while they they do their studies um you know or whatever else it is that people take the odd odd shift here and there for you know i think it's going to be difficult to find those people who are willing to to commit to the industry given how volatile it has been and looks likely to be going forwards but i think the rewards will be there for um for those businesses who are able to um well who have multiple revenue streams who are, who are able to to try a bit of this and try a bit of that um i think for us i i mentioned that We've weathered this storm quite well because we have not just the, the dining element to our restaurant, but also hot takeaway, uh, cold food takeaway. We've also added deliveries to that recently. I think people have been have become used to convenience, used to being able to go online and and you know order what they want to be delivered or to be ready, you know, within a short space of time. And I think that those businesses that those restaurants, I mean, obviously hospitality is much bigger than just just restaurants um but for those restaurants who have been able to um change the way that they work to adapt to that um yeah there, there are rewards and i think that, that i personally think that um it's going to be cha changeable and difficult but not impossible for those businesses who who will um chop and change and respond to, to what their customers need what about um because what you do with your business is also you do more than you mentioned that a couple of times we're more than just a restaurant business more than just food we are we want to make the world a better place um what does hospitality's role play in that because that's normally not something we really attained in there's a lot of talk about sustainability in the menu now that you know also helping the nss when there was in the knees and so on but is hospitality's role really changing now also being part of actually really impacting, you know, the way we do things in the world? Well, we have a real responsibility, don't we, to make sure that we source our ingredients um, responsibly. I mean, one, one thing that we do is we look at our menu very carefully and try to um, buy, buy our vegetables, for example, in bulk. So we have dishes that share certain ingredients so that we're not having to go here, there and everywhere for them so that we can 
cook from one big box of this or one big box of that, but turn it into different things along the way. Yeah, um, because we buy the local kind of possible and uh, some sport for the other businesses, small local people. Mm. You know, that's the, you know, that's what we happened, you know, you know. So we need to keep it local is much better than, than, than the food comes from far away, you know. Mm. To support and the smaller businesses and support, yeah. support the people who are growing locally, yeah, and producing locally where possible. The uh, small businesses, they have employ more people than a big supermarket, you know. That's the, the way stay the, the money stayed locally and then they can employ more people. Mm. That's our recommend. You know, the, the, the food always tastes better anyway. So, you know, it's not something that we we look to doing because we are charitable by nature. That's got nothing to do with it. You know, the, the, uh, the food, will, the results will always be better if you take some responsibility. You know, as a, as a festivals business as well, we have to look at um, what, um, what we use to make sure that our environmental footprint is as light as possible and from the very beginning we were only ever using compostable recyclable containers but you know all of that has become I mean that as a kind of marketplace has become ever more complex you know so it's not something that you can just sit on your laurels and say you know we found the right the right receptacle for this or for that you know there's a job to do in making sure that we keep up with um developments in that area and make sure that we we keep supporting those businesses who are doing doing the best job um i mean you know i think you ask you know also what what is hospitality what hospitality can do to to help it's more than that to help make the world a better place it's more than just you know looking at at where we source our ingredients or, or food boxes from but you know i think people also come to to us for an experience you know so it's more than just food we are I think that we also have a responsibility to look after people. And again, we've mentioned this a few times, but, you know, we've always seen Taste Tibet as more than a place that people come to for tasty food. Yes, you mentioned right at the beginning that, you know, there were always people who would come by the stall in the early days, sometimes just for a chat, not even for food. You know, we have a responsibility to be as far as we can be open and, and available to give people a positive experience, a happy moment in their day. I love that uh, it's all again, you come back to that thing again about, you know, connecting with people and, and that's where you really can make the difference as well. And also tell tell people about food and where it comes from, because I think uh, I think we touched on in the beginning as well. A lot of people don't know where food comes. And I love the whole thing about you talked about on a Saturday, we look what we can actually do with the food. And I guess your waste is, is very low. No, no waste. <laughs> Yeah, no waste. You can see. I'll just from what you said, and I think that's again a really, you know, great way of how to make the world a better place in a very simple way. If we just avoid food waste at you know, as as much as we can, and and, and actually try to repurpose. Part it. of that is good fortune because you know our our food loves the freezer. Our curries and stir fries and our momo dumplings they love the freezer. But you know, then there's also thought that goes into the menu in the first place. What is the kind of food that is is going to be you know happy on day two? You know that we don't have um, salads and things, or not much of it that will perish. So we, there really is zero waste at the end of the weekend, which is something that we're super proud of. Yeah, that's a that's a super inspirational because I think you know, and it's not about you know we don't solve everything with food waste, but again, it's it's one element out of all of the things you said. It's not just doing one thing; it's the 
is the algorithm of doing these things together. How do you guys keep on going? You talked a bit about you know the feedback you got from customers and those relationships really make you believe in the purpose and move on. But how do you actually? I call it show up pro every day. How do you do it? You know because it takes a lot to run a small business again, especially for the founders. And you are man and wife, so everything is in one plate. That's not like uh, somebody has another job that's going to make sure there is food on your table and your kids have clothes on. You, you have to come from a place of, of genuine passion. And when, when you do that, it actually comes quite naturally. But I, I think that on top of that, um, I mean, I think we spend probably all of our spare time. We certainly don't have, you know, kind of idle evenings in front of Netflix. You know, we spend all of our time doing research, 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 research. And that takes different forms for both of us. I mentioned that Yuji loves to watch um, documentaries. He loves to, to watch the, the chefs cook or, you know, even if it... <laughs> <laughs> it's Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. You know, I personally hate that one. It's foul mouthed, but he says he learns a lot, you know, about what not to do in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, so he he's doing his research that way. You know, I am I'm always online. There's just a wealth of information that is available now, isn't there? You don't even need to to step outside to to do your learning. It's out there. It's on social media. I follow people very closely. I'm always looking at you know how people are. Are doing things a little bit differently you know or you know, there's there's always something interesting out there that that we we can bring to our table and i think that because we we come at this from a place of real you know drive passion ambition it's in some ways it's easy for us which is not to say that that there are not bad days and certainly yes she gets very tired he's on his feet all day in the kitchen and we are a husband and wife team, um, but because our roles are quite defined, um, you know, I'm never in the kitchen. You wouldn't want me in there. <laughs> um, you know, we, we're working on this in different ways and that, that brings different energy um, and different findings and, and, and always really interesting to us, you know, what we both kind of unearth and always bringing us to, to a new place. If you uh, could give like an advice to to hospitality leaders or leaders in general in the world right now, what, what would that top advice be? I think there's a few things. And, um, you know, one is be authentic. And, um, yeah, make make sure that you're coming from a place, your business is, is run from a place of genuine passion or it's not going to work. I think something that's else that has been important for us that we've learned along the way is to learn to take criticism. I think good feedback always feels great and is, it's, uh, it's easy to dismiss the bad or to want to dismiss it, um, but there's always something that you can take from it. And that's where the learning really happens, um, especially in an environment like today where we're adapting and shifting all the time, um, trying new things. And some things will inevitably go better than others. Um, we mustn't be afraid to ditch what's not working, you know, or to, or to take the to, yeah to take the criticism, whatever it, form it takes along yeah. the way. So for me, it's like, you know, in the kitchen, you know, I employ all the young people, you know. So I'll say then, you know, not only for the kitchen job, or your life. So how you want it in the future, but not for the kitchen, you know, and like in a restaurant. It's just obviously we need to do best as possible we need to do. But, you know, it's like, you know, I know that all my life experience that I go through. And then so now we are back, you know, I can 
my life experience I give them to the to the teach them to how we live. So not only for the recent job, but it's the their their life. I can teach them, you know, how it works. And they, they also they can teach us, and I think yeah. that that's another thing. You yeah, know, they, always to be to be listening so to them. encourage them, and then they can teach us as well. But we just first encourage them first, and then you know you don't worry about. And so we need to work together and like a family, mm. but because it's this is like your family work together in one place, and sometimes we. Spend more hours than in the, with your family. Mm. We are in, in the kitchen, restaurant all days, and go home to sleep, and come back tomorrow and working in, in the restaurant. I think it's very important to, to make those investments in your staff to make sure that um, you know what's going on for them beyond the four walls of the yeah. restaurant. Because if if you make that time, and yeah, if you, I mean, as you said, you so often spend more time at work than you do with your family. It's, it's a different family that you're creating, especially in a small. Um, business environment um, you have to understand what, what's going on and make allowances for it we're all human you know yeah and so you know they have the you know life which kind of life there we don't know so we need except we need to give them to help support them to make sure they're happy and also they uh, help them to their how we to achieve Not, what they want to achieve yeah they're, they're the achieved and uh, you know but also do you just like guide them properly that's the i think it's good where look after them and then they look after us that's the i think uh, uh i learned from i was going to say just a final piece of advice which is just some something different but you know it's taken us nearly eight years to get to this point. And I think, and we, again, we've touched on this previously, but, but, you know, taking your time, I think that anything worth anything is, is always built slowly. Um, and trial and error naturally forms a part of that. And especially right now, I think that um, for right now, it'd probably be quite foolish to, you know, put all eggs in one basket and rush headlong into things. We don't, we don't know what this sector is going to, how this sector is going to survive. Um, the next couple of years and so yeah going going slowly taking your time and doing your research along the way you know watching how others are moving i i think that that's i hope a useful piece of advice i love that again i mentioned before go slow actually make sure and then i love the piece about you know how you learn try to learn from you and also how you give life skills. And I, th I think that's something we forgot to talk about in hospitality, because I think that's what I liked about my early stage of my career in hospitality was the life skills I got, I could use no matter what I was doing. It's communicating with people. It's trying to understand other people's needs, even though you don't come from the same place, you know, it's respect, all those kind of things. There's more people call it the soft thing. I call it really the hard things that makes you really, be able to navigate when it's get uncertain, you know, because it's life skills. It's a way of surviving in a way. I love that bit as well. Is there any questions you wished I've asked you? Uh, and what would you have answered if there's any? I think when we chatted originally, Michael, we spoke about, um, about food in Tibet and, and even in India to a large degree where Yeshi lived for a long time. And um, we touched on it briefly, but... But I think that we have a lot to learn from Yeshi's responses to how we, we eat here in the UK, probably in the West in general, coming from the perspective of, of somebody who 
who had never been to a big supermarket before he arrived in the UK, who didn't know that cookbooks existed. You know, cooking was, was something that you just learned and became intuitive from a very young age and learning which ingredients went together or, as I think he mentioned, um, how to approach a vegetable that you you haven't come across before, but which looks similar to, to one that you you maybe have cooked with and um, and losing the fear around that and and gaining confidence in the kitchen. I think we would love to have talked more about about your insights, Yeshi. Yes, so like you know that just don't scared, you know. It's just the food, it's the food. <laughs> and it just, you know, you just make some, like, you know, just uh, what do you got in your basket or in your fridge? Just to make it, to make, you can make a delicious dish. But also the know? importance of seeking out, um, well, learning um, what, you know, a, a fresh vegetable looks like versus one that's been frozen and, and packaged and, you know, um, Learning uh, why chicken breasts come in different sizes and and how to respect one that doesn't doesn't maybe look as as kind of perfect as as the others. I think I'm going to take you you up on that because then when your book comes out, maybe we need to revisit a, another episode where we talk a bit more about you know the uh, the, the love of food and you know uh, and it's interesting you talk about it's not there's no recipes it's principle cooking by principles that's how I learned to cook for my mom as well like. Uh, how do we actually put a meal together? How do we create the centerpiece of something and understand how you do that? So I think there'll be something out there for you guys out there in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a couple of coming out on the 7th, 17th of March, 17th of March. The book is out there. Um, and then we'll definitely have a look at that and see how we, we can revisit that because I'm sure when we, we see what's inside that, we can really start elaborating a conversation about that. Um, where, where can uh, people find you? If they want to know more, if they, you know, if they're in Oxford or if they're going to Oxford or, you know, how do we communicate with you guys? Obviously, they can come and uh, visit us, us, us at our restaurant in East Oxford. Um, and if they sign up to our mailing list on our website, which is tastetibet.com, um, we send out a weekly email with our news and stories, insights, sometimes recipes from Tibet. And then we're also on Instagram at Taste Tibet and on, on Facebook. Yeah, so we have lovely photo, lovely photos, videos from Tibet, and we show that. And yeah, so culture and we show everything. So, and also we can farm. There sometimes you check on the website. We go to festivals, mm. like you know everywhere. So over yeah. the summer we'll be at quite a few different festivals. So if you if you're not in Oxford and you'd like to visit us somewhere else, just Follow us and we'll always let you know where we'll be. Yeah. And also we have some balls to Cambridge, Oxford. Mm. We do the balls if as you're well. you're a lucky student. <laughs> yeah, so a lucky student. So stay at other balls. It's really fun. Great, great. So we'll put all that in the, the show notes as well so, so people can connect with you and uh, ask any additional questions because it's always difficult to cover everything in, the, in these conversations. Uh, Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your incredible journey and building a, a purpose-driven business and actually, you know, your philosophy around it. I think it's been really, really helpful for, for everyone that's going to tune in and I'm sure they're going to have huge value listening into this conversation. Thank you so much for Thank having us. Thank you so much. Amazing, Julian Yessi. 
Love your energy and commitment to make the world a better place through food and business. I would recommend you now to ask yourself, what can I do to make sure that my purpose are in the driving seat when I make decisions for my life and business? To get further inspiration on how to lead with purpose in your life and business, please check out episode number six on hospitality and the infinitive game around purpose and profit. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly on advice at BizSimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter for more Maverick insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!